0: Today, I'm sharing with you the message called uh, Lessons from the Gap. And I do want to let everybody know before we get um, uh, started today, I did get a letter uh, uh, this this last week. It was a cease and desist letter. It says, please cease and desist from telling blonde jokes. (laughs) Signed. Your blonde wife, okay. Uh, I'm like that's a letter I'll listen to. All right. So, anyways, so three brunettes. No, I'm just just kidding. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Um, um, you know, today um, I want to I want to share with you uh, a message of of great importance. I actually believe that right now, many people find themselves in a place of kind of uncertainty. They're dealing with the the, the questions of what's happening in our nation? What's, what's going on all around us? Why does it seem as if culture is changing and we can't keep up with it. What is the next step that we are to take? And we feel this, this, this all of this pressure that's mounting, especially uh, 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 against the church and against ideals that we actually thought would, would be normal and embraced for years to come. How many of you know that if you are actually a Bible-believing Christian, that's not really celebrated today. If you thought, I'm going to go to church so I can become popular, oh man, you're in the wrong place. (laughs) Matter of fact, the reason that I'm sharing this with you, because there was a gap that the disciples found themselves in. It It was much like this atmosphere where Jesus has been crucified and buried and raised from the dead, and yet... They haven't seen him yet. They're only hearing stories that Mary Magdalene has seen him and, and there is these disciples who are walking the road to Emmaus and they've seen him. They're, they're hearing stories, but they've had no encounter with the risen savior yet. And the only, the only thing they know about the day that they're living in is that it is oppressive to them as a follower of Christ. There is this pressure. And so what they've done is they've gone into a room and locked the door securely. And there is a gap of time that when you look in the Bible, you see the cross, which is Passover, that leads to a glorious time 50 days later called Pentecost. It's where there, there comes this great advancement, this great move of God. But there's 50 days between. It's a gap. They didn't know what the next step was. These guys had walked with Christ, they had been with him, and yet they found themselves afraid, thinking, I'm just going to lose my life, that everything I thought was going to happen isn't happening, it's kind of falling apart. And I don't know about you right now, but I think there is a lot of people who thinks, man, I thought I had some things charted out for the way I sa- the way I saw them going, and yet what I've experienced over the last year and a half, my world is shaking a little bit. I don't know what's going to be happening. I don't know what's happening in Washington D.C. I don't know what's happening in our country. I don't I don't know what's happening. But all, I, all the only place I feel safe is at home, locked up. And it's in that gap that Jesus comes and teaches a valuable lesson. So today I want to share with you this message called Lessons from the Gap. Luke 24 is where we're going to begin today. If you have the Bible app, you can go to calvary.online, click today's message, and you'll get all the notes launched there on your phone. You can add your own. Otherwise, follow along. With us on the screen, Luke 24, these are the words of the risen Savior. This is the moment where he has come into their locked room and appeared. And he says to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you. This is before the cross. Here are the words. That all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Then he said to them, thus it is written... And thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father, which is speaking of the Holy Spirit, upon you. But tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. So today I want us to find God in our gaps where we, where we just feel like I don't know the next step. Where I'm dealing with the level of uncertainty that, that maybe I, you know, next week will be different. I don't know what I'm going to face. How do I find God in the gap and what should I expect? I believe God is going to do this work in our lives as a congregation Here's what I want you to see. The first thing that God does when you're in a gap, when you're in a place of uncertainty, when you're in a place of saying, I really don't know what the next step is. Here's what he does first. He opens our understanding of the scriptures. He opens our understanding of the scriptures. That's exactly what it says in verse 45. He opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Now, why in the world? Here he is, risen from the dead. And I want you to know that this overlays the circumstance where he comes in and he's, he's calming them. And he says, hey, listen, touch my hands, uh, touch my side, uh. Spirits don't have a body. He then says, hey, by the way, I'm kind of hungry. Do you have anything to eat? They give him fish. They give him a honeycomb. He's eating in front of them. And so they're, they're still not believing. They're still terrified, right? They're still not knowing how to move forward. But what happens in this moment where he opens their understanding to the scriptures? Here's what it is we spoke about it last week when he opened their understanding this is what he did <sighs> he breathed on them you say in the in the other passage in john what we find is that he said he breathed on them and said what receive the holy spirit and what they experienced for the very first time is what Jesus spoke of in John chapter 3. This is where a person gets born of the Spirit or born again. Here's here's the picture that you need to see. These are the guys who have walked with Jesus. Many of them, they were there when he turned the water into wine. Amazing. They were there when a little boy had just a couple of fish and a few loaves. And he fed 5,000 men, plus women and children. And then he did it again with seven loaves, fed 4,000 men. And they've seen it. They've seen him say, peace, be still, and the storm stops. They've seen a demoniac run to his feet and worship, and he says, be gone. That man gets set free and becomes an evangelist to ten cities. They have watched him interrupt perfectly good funerals. Raises the widow's son in name. Raises Lazarus from the dead. Peter gets a miracle in his own house. His mother-in-law had a fever. She got healed in his own house and got up and began to serve them. I mean, that worked out really well for Peter. They've seen all of this, and yet in the gap, they're shaking. They don't know how to move forward, and the first thing Jesus does is he breathes on them, and the first byproduct that happens is he opens their understanding to what was written. Now, what I'm about to say to you next may be striking and could be misconstrued as uncaring. But hear from the heart of a pastor who loves people. I love you dearly. But I have a grave concern that many people... Under the sound of my voice on Sunday mornings, you think you're right with God, but you're not. You think that because you come to church and you kind of do the religious thing and you're kind of just trying to be a good person, you think that you're on your way to heaven and you're not. And one of the symptoms of not being born again... Is this book, when you try to read it, it's closed to you? You don't understand it. And the good news is, God wants you to understand it. Matter of fact, he wants you to understand it. He actually anoints pastors and teachers to equip and to show you line upon line and to explain it. But you could be that person that sits and says, man, I've gone to church. I I try to read the Bible. I can't understand it. And I would say to you what Jesus said in John chapter 3 verse 3. And that is this. Unless one is born again, he cannot See the kingdom of God My first question When people say to me I don't understand the Bible Is simply this Have you surrendered Your will to Jesus And they're like That seems odd (laughs) Why would you ask me that Because Of what I know it really takes to be born again. To be born again by grace through faith. When we're born again, here's what happens. We become convinced by the Holy Spirit. No one gets saved unless the Holy Spirit is drawing them. You may say, well, I've always been saved. No, you haven't. No, you haven't. That's not possible. Otherwise, Jesus would not have had, not He would have never had to die. It's not possible that everybody is just saved by proxy. You know, your parents parked you in a church, therefore you suddenly became a Christian. That's not the way that works. I'm telling you the truth that the Holy Spirit must draw you to that place where you suddenly see. The sin in your life and the gift that Jesus gave on the cross. And what you do in response is amazing. It is. I surrender my will to you. You say, well, I thought it was just repent and believe. Yes, of course it is. That's what it means. It means to repent and then to believe. Who are you believing? You are confessing Jesus as your Lord. Now, none of us walk around using the terminology Lord. I tried that with my wife. She won't do it. (laughs) Just call me Lord. No. It's not common language. But I want to give you common language for this. When you give your life to Jesus, here's what you're doing. I'm saying, God, I see that I have sinned and you have freely given a sacrifice for me. I'm turning from my own life. I'm turning to you. And I confess you as my owner. Oh, I hope that strikes that American chord in you. We're free. No one owns us. Yeah, not so fast. Not so fast. When you get born again, you give the ownership of your life away. And my grave concern for people in this this congregation and those watching online is that you say, I don't understand the book. And it could be because you have not surrendered ownership of your life to God through his only son, Jesus Christ. And I promise you, you say, I just don't see it. Here's what Jesus said, you could never see it. Unless he breathed on you the Holy Spirit and opened your mind to what was written. Notice what the Bible says about the Bible in 1 Corinthians 2 verses 12-14. to It says, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. Why do we receive? That we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man doesn't receive the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him, nor Can he know them because they are spiritually discerned? Here's what I find. I find that most people do not go on an intellectual pursuit of God and find him. Here's what I find. God goes on a loving pursuit of us. And he comes and finds us by his spirit. And he says, I'm coming through your locked doors. I'm coming through the walls you've erected by my grace and by my power. And I'm stepping in to this gap where you don't know which way is the right way to go. And Jesus comes in and says, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. Surrender to me. I'll show you. And I'll open your mind to what I have written to all who will follow me. It's the first lesson from the gap that God wants every one of us born again born of his spirit so that we can understand and discern what is said secondly what comes right on the heels of that God in the, gla- the gap what does he do next he declares the importance of the written word notice what the scripture says he says Thus it was written, and thus it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day. Now, for all my deep theologians out there, I want you to understand that contextually I know exactly what this is talking about. This is talking about the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. However, there is an overarching principle that we can grab hold of from this verse to overlay our understanding of the importance of the Scripture, and it is simply this. It is written and it is necessary. If it is written, it's necessary. If it's written in God's word, listen to me. This is is what's happening in the genesis of disciples beginning to understand. As soon as he opens their minds to the scripture, he says this. It is written, and thus... It was necessary. What did they need to understand first? Of first importance? Of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. They needed to know that that is of first importance. If you read 1 Corinthians 15, verses three through five, you understand that that is what Paul received first from Christ, the gospel, that Christ died for us freely and gave himself for us, that he was buried and on the third day raised from the dead. That is the first thing, but you cannot negate the fact that God is saying, if it's written, it's necessary. Yes. And that is why in the gap of our culture, when everything is, is, seems like it's coming against ideals that we thought were just received as normal, now you're called a bigot if you hold a biblical idea. In our northern neighbors, Canada... If you were to simply read this passage that I'm about to read, you're in danger of jail. It's written and necessary. Culture doesn't like it. People don't like it. This passage I'm about to read may make some of you terribly uncomfortable. Amen. We need all of the Bible, not just the comfy parts. We need to be uncomfortable. Why? Because God has an answer. He loves us. He has an answer. However, we can't ignore the truth. We have to be able to boldly proclaim it and understand this is why he came. But it's written and necessary. And so he's going to show us some things. And I'm going to read, you know, semi Controversial passages. (laughs) 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Just listen. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Here it is, here it is. Do not be deceived. Here's Here's the thing. Why in the world is the Apostle Paul writing? To this, to the church, if it wasn't possible for the church to be deceived. Do not be deceived. Listen, neither fornicators. I'm sorry if you're living with your girlfriend. Don't be deceived. I'm going to help somebody today. Neither fornicators nor idolaters. You know what that is. When you have anything else in the place of God. Here's how you know if money is in the place of God. If you are happy when your bank account is big. And you're like, praise God. But when all the bills are paid. And you're like, (laughs) and you're not praising God, your idol's in your bank account. I'm going to help some people today. Now, nor adulterers nor homosexuals, nor sodomites. And you know what? The church, if I had just read that in Canada, I would be in danger. In this list. Many of these people find themselves in this list because that's the the atmosphere that they were raised in. I I just want to tell you today I'm not speaking or heaping judgment on anybody. I just, I want to tell everybody you cannot be a part of the movement that is sweeping across America that says we have to change what the Bible says or we have to form opinions based upon how we feel. We don't do that with scripture. If it's written, it's necessary. If it's written, it's necessary so what's your opinion on homosexuality well uh i i don't get to form one it was given to me what's your what's your opinion about generosity and giving in the church well i don't get to form one i get to follow one what's your opinion about lying What's your opinion about, well, it's fine. They can live together. They're going to get married anyway. This passage, it's powerful. It says, and. This means it's a continued thought. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Do you hear what he's saying? He says, and. He says, I want to show you that of what's of a great importance that Christ must suffer and die and be raised from the dead. That is, it's written, it's of great importance for you to get this. It was necessary because it's written and and this comes with it. And this being compelled to what? Preach, proclaim that Christ should be responded to in the right way. That repentance and remission of sins should be preached in His name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem and you are witnesses of these things. You see, I find that many times when we find ourselves in a gap where we know we're not where we used to be, that's great news, but we know that we're not quite where we want to be in this life. Perhaps you've suffered some brokenness and gone through some things, and there is plenty of grace for people who have failed, though the righteous fall seven times, what? He gets up. Does that mean righteous people are going to fall? Yes, it does, but that means that there will be grace to get up. You don't have to stay fallen. You don't have to stay broken. But there's something that you and I, once once he has breathed on us, we're born again. He opened our minds to the scriptures. And then what happens? We know the importance of what is written. We then begin to share repentance and remission of sins through Christ. And most people find themselves wondering, God, what's the next step? Do I buy a house? Do I sell a house? You know, Do I invest here? Do I not invest here? And we're asking those intimate questions about those kind of steps in our life, all while ignoring the instruction that God is standing on the precipice of heaven going, Hey, by the way, could you just do what I told you to do 2,000 years ago? I mean, do you think that that he saved you just to say, "Wow, they have an amazing brain when it comes to understanding the scriptures"? God is not impressed with your IQ. You know, God doesn't have an IQ. It's a quotient. That means, in order to have a quotient, it must be measured against a deficiency. No IQ. Off the charts. You and I, if we're saying, God, take us to the next step, what if what God is calling us to is to steward what he's already told us to do? Can I just talk to you about the message that you're supposed to be compelled to carry? First is repentance. This word in Greek is metanoia. It means to have a change in thinking. When you combine it with an Old Testament understanding of repentance, it would mean change in direction. But it means, in a a more practical sense, it means to, to be so convinced, thoroughly convinced of God's way of thinking that it has a dramatic effect on the way that you live your life. Matter of fact, you were headed in one direction because you thought that it was fine, that it was the right direction, but God comes in, you get born again. By the way, this doesn't happen before you get born again. Why? Because you can't see the kingdom of God. You're like, that makes no sense. <laughs> don't have sex with your girlfriend before you get married? That will make no sense. <laughs> and we're like, uh... I didn't see that, but I got born again, and all of a sudden, there is this repentance thing that's happening. I'm repenting. I'm saying, whoa, the Holy Spirit has allowed me to see the truth, and I was headed toward destruction, and now I need to head toward redemption. God, I'm going to allow you to lead in God my life. So we preach repentance. That means a turning, change in the way that we think. But that is an incomplete message. And unfortunately, I would say even I have done a poor job of actually explaining what is married to repentance. And that is remission. Oh, this is so good. We preach repentance. This is our response in turning away from sin. But remission is God's response to our turning away. And the word remission means he gathers your sin and carries it away. It's a picture of the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, there were two goats on the Day of Atonement. One was, one was uh, uh, you know, slaughtered and the blood sprinkled on, on the uh, mercy seat. And then there was this, this strange goat called the scapegoat. And the, the, the priest would symbolically lay his hands on the scapegoat and transfer the sins of the nation to this goat. And this goat would be sent outside the camp to die in the wilderness. So he sent away. You know where Christ died? Outside the camp. You know what he did? When we repent, he carries our sin. No matter what it is. No matter what it is that we've struggled with. He carries it away. Taking the burden you were never meant to bear. Carrying the burden only Christ was meant to bear. You say, well, all right, then what's the work? Let me share with you just what the work looks like. Because James does say, we don't, we, don't, we don't just believe. James tells us faith by itself, if it does not have works, is what? Dead. James 2, 17 and 19, he says, but someone will say, you have faith. And I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. That's, this is saying, hey, by the way, there needs to be some activity in the life of a believer that is an expression of an inward reality. You say, what is it? There are two types of work, vertical and horizontal. The vertical work is first. The vertical work of prayer and praise. Our greatest command as the church is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It is the first and greatest commandment. Don't get it second. Don't put it down there third. You think loving God is optional? It is not. It is number one loving God. Everything horizontal flows out of your vertical relationship with God. Prayer is not an option. Praise isn't an option. Even gathering corporately, not an option. Not an option. Our vertical work is of greatest importance staying in living in that intimacy abiding in the vine as John 15 says we are there in that moment just saying God I love you I bless you I give myself fully to you I cry out to see your kingdom come in my family and in my co-workers I cry out to see you move in this region Lord I thank you that it's your good will and good pleasure to not see anyone go to hell but Lord you want to rescue them and bring them into life you do that vertical work but then there is the horizontal work and that horizontal work is proclamation and proclamation means that I proclaim Christ his death, burial, resurrection and the giving of his spirit through the way that I live and listen church, through what I say you cannot separate the proclamation of the gospel from actually saying it You say, well, what do I say? Tell what Jesus did. And then say what he did for you. Say what Jesus did. But then tell someone what Jesus did for you. I want to finish today just by summing this up with this one statement. You say, What is God speaking to me in my gap? Are you ready? It's not what you thought. Be a voice. Be a voice. It's shocking, isn't it? Because you were uncertain, and God says, No, I want you to be a voice. To say what I've told you to say, to proclaim the truth of the gospel. He goes, I'll take care of the other details. I'll speak to you. I'll lead you, guide you, protect you, supply for you, everything that you need. He'll take care of it. He already knows what you have need of. But instead of saying, God, what do I do in this gap? You say, God, I'll do what you've already instructed me to do. And and thus be positioned to receive anything that you would have me to do moving forward.